0: Again, we come before you, Lord, to ask that you speak to us right now, Lord. May you pour your Holy Spirit upon this small room in this within these walls, Lord, among the, the people that you've ordained to be here, Lord. We know that you have a special plan and purpose for everyone here, Lord. And and Lord, I just pray that you bless everyone here right now, Lord. And not just here, but throughout just all the churches in El Paso right now that are hearing your word, that are getting fed, Lord, I pray you bless them as well. Lord, you are a magnificent God. And everything we are is because of you, Lord. Yes, speak to us, Lord. Use me. And just bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. My glasses. Alright, so I want to spend the first few minutes of, this, of our time here to talk about who the author is. We're going to get into the book of Mark, but I think it's important for us to know who we're reading about and, and what, what makes this book unique from, both, well, from Matthew, Luke, and John, the other Gospels. Now, I don't know if you guys have done a, a study on some of these books here, or some, of the, some of the Gospels, but each one has an interesting story. Each author has an interesting story. Each author has a different background, and each one is unique. In in this particular case, the Gospel of Mark, uh, well, let me back that up by saying the Gospels were originally personal personal documents written within the communities they served. As Christians began to travel all over the region, all over the place, they began sharing these stories, they began, you know, reading reading these stories amongst amongst each others. Biblical scholars have found that around the second century, the phrase according to Mark was attached to the beginning of this Gospel. Or the end of his gospel. The most important early church record that associates Mark, that associates this gospel to Mark, was by Papias. Papias was a second century church father who lived in the area of what we know today as Turkey. This early church father links this gospel to Mark and also um, with the Apostle Paul. The New Testament also mentions one person named Mark. In Philemon 2:4 and in 1 Timothy 4, refer to Mark as an associate of Paul. Colossians 4 mentions Mark as a cousin of Barnabas. He is mentioned he is mentioned once in Acts 15, three times in in, the, in John's Gospel, and in 1 Peter 5:13, Peter refers to Mark as a spiritual son. Now, the majority of biblical scholars believe that Mark worked closely with the apostles Peter and Paul. He, they worked together. They traveled together. They did a lot of stuff together now. Evidence available to Bible scholars put, paints this particular profile of Mark. You gather all the evidence, everything that's in the Bible, anything, every um, extra biblical information that's out there. This is the picture that biblical scholars paint of Mark. He was a Greek speaking convert who knew some Aramaic. When he became a Christian, he worked closely with Peter. He joined Paul during his first missionary journey and in later years served both Paul and Peter before their deaths in Rome. If you read, if you do a careful read of this gospel, um, it's believed again that this is a composite sketch made from the reservoir of Peter's preaching. So, you know, you have Peter who's just preaching the word and this guy who's been sitting under him, learning from him all these years. And... So this is a pretty much, again, just a, a recollection, composite sketch of all the all the teachings, all the preachings of Peter. Now, Mark did have some issues. He did have some problems. Again, he was human just like us. Um, we have, in the Bible, we hear that he abandoned Paul during his first missionary journey. During the second, when they were planning the second, when Paul was planning his second missionary journey, they were considering taking Mark with him, with him again, but... Paul decided not to. And instead, I believe it took Titus. Um, so, again, he had some issues, he had some problems, he, but yet God used them in a mighty way. Now, what makes this gospel unique from all the others um, is that it's known for being quick paced. It's a quick paced gospel, I mean, it gets right to the point. And it, seems more, it almost seems more compelling when it's read aloud. Therefore, scholars believe that it was originally intended for oral presentation. So I can sit here and read this whole Gospel of Mark, and they say that it sounds better, it reads better when I'm reading it aloud. And, you know, it, that's unique from the other Gospels, where it's more chronological, it's, it gets into more into details, um, and that's what, again, makes this, this Gospel unique. Now, evidence again points that Mark wrote this gospel in Rome around 55 to 65 AD, and his audience were Roman Gentiles. Um, Now, in regard to these Roman Gentiles, um, he did have to clarify some um, Jewish customs and traditions, and they they also had a general understanding of some of the people mentioned and what their titles were. So he didn't have to get again into details about who these people were. They already knew who they were they also were familiar with the christian message they had heard it the word had spread it had gone out through all the region even in rome people were chattering people were talking about who jesus was and so again he's pinned, he, this gospel is more addressed to them um, and and that's why it made such a great impact now he has he does have a purpose there is a purpose uh, for this for this gospel one of the purposes of this gospel is to persuade is, is to persuade us to see Jesus as the Messiah embraced by the world. Mark does this by building a case by writing about Jesus' public and private life. And as we know, um, public his public life in his public eyes is an introduction to the communities of Galilee and the evidence of his Messiahship and his private life, how he must die when he arrives in Jerusalem. The other purpose is evangelistic. He tells us about Jesus' success in Galilee, the demise in Jerusalem, and the victory in the resurrection. So now that we have a little bit of a background about what this, you know, what this gospel is all about, I mean, I've, I've heard sermons that have gone, you know, two, two days about the background, you know, but I think, you know, we, getting right to the point, getting right to the, to the simplicity of the, of the background of this gospel, is important, and, you know, there's, there's a lot more information. I Again, I, I encourage you to, I'm the kind of person that likes to encourage people to study the Bible, study the gospel, study, get into it. There's a lot of things that, that you can find there. So again, now that we have a little bit of background, uh, follow me as I read verse 1. Mark says in verse 1, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I'm going to stop there for just a second. Beginning in this very first verse, Mark wants to reader to understand these three things, these three facts. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the Son of God, or the Son of God. He does this in order to make it clear that this this is this good news just isn't a good news of good views from another wise person. This isn't just you know some other wise guru that came around, walking around, you know, being positive, giving positive message. No, this was the good news from Jesus, the Messiah, who not was, but is the Son of God. This introduction also is Mark's personal proclamation of what he fundamentally believes. And he says, this is the beginning of it. So the hope is that by the time we're done reading this gospel, by the time you've completely read this gospel, you will come to the same fundamental beliefs. So let's read on. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. Now before he gets into Jesus' narrative... Mark wants us to understand that a key part of what makes Jesus the Messiah is this vital piece of prophecy. This important piece of evidence is so instrumental that had it not been fulfilled, the claims of Jesus would have been nullified. And he would have gone down in history as just another one of many false messiahs. So rather than attempting to try to explain it on his own, rather than try to explain what the prophecy was, he goes straight directly to the source. Of this prophecy and quote not one but two Old Testament prophets who essentially came to the same conclusion these two prophets were Isaiah and Malachi both Isaiah and Malachi speaking under direction of God wrote that a messenger would come prior to Jesus being revealed preparing the hearts and minds for others for Jesus's arrival this messenger, as Mark is about to point out, and is about, we're about to read, is none other than John the Baptist. So let's pick up in verse 4 again. John came, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside were flocking to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. John wore a camel hair garment and a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He was preaching, Someone more powerful than I will come after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the straps of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. These verses show us that God has the ability to use the unlikeliest of people to accomplish his purposes. In the case of John the Baptist, God used the strangest man that was alive at that particular time, in that particular region, to prepare others for the arrival of the Messiah. Now of all the glorious and extravagant and, I guess, amazing ways that God could have chosen someone to prepare us for the arrival of Jesus, He chose a man living in the middle of nowhere, wearing a camel's hair garment with a leather belt, I haven't wore, I've never wore a camel's hair garment, but I've been told that it's uncomfortable. That it's just, you know, it's not something that, you know, you want to wear on a daily basis. But this is something that he wore day in and day out. And just a leather belt. Who ate nothing but honey and locusts. Locusts, I don't know, again, I've, I've seen pictures and these locusts can either be small or huge, but they're just nasty looking bugs. Nasty looking. So I mean you have the sweetness of the honey, but then I've never tasted locusts so I can't tell you what that tastes like. Has anybody here no? (laughs) But I imagine that, that the taste isn't well. But I could be wrong. However, what set John apart from any other person much more that would have been much more qualified was his heart and his faith. John's heart was completely surrendered and devoted to God. And his and his faith that, had, that he had been called for a special purpose. So what was John's purpose and message? Why was he here? What was, what was his calling? John's purpose, purpose was to baptize and prepare for the arrival of the Messiah. Also, these verses tell us that his message was twofold. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and someone more powerful than him will come after him. Now, the baptism of John was distinct from the baptism we do, that we perform today. You see, when people were, during that time when people were baptized by John, they identified themselves as sinners. It was a renunciation of their old ways, and it was an inner preparation for the coming of the Messiah. Also, it identified people as followers of John's message. But now the baptisms we the baptism we celebrate as Christians, the baptism we come together at and and do, that we've been, um, that's one of the ordinances, the, the baptisms we take part in today symbolizes a renunciation of a former life and a rebirth of a new one with Christ. It's an identification with Christ as a believer, and it is conducted in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, I, what I find fascinating is the fact that John understood that this baptism was only a foreshadow of what was to come. It was something that he was eagerly anticipating, and he just, but he just didn't know when it was going to happen. He was anticipating it. He knew it was going to happen, but he just didn't know when it was going to happen. Now, again, in regards to baptism, I hope that in my prayers that as we grow, as we continue to, you know... Um, that we'll be able to spend some time, we'll be able to go out and, and do a baptism if you haven't been baptized before. Um, but it's important. I mean, it's not it's not necessary for your salvation. But it is very important. It is it does symbolize something very important. It does symbolize in obedient your obedience to Christ and. And again, my prayers and hope is that we'll be able to get together soon and, and do a baptism if you have. And if you haven't, let, let me know, and if you are interested in getting baptized, you know, we'll make some arrangements again to get that done. But again, going back, John's Baptist, John understood that his baptism was only a foreshadow of what was to come. Now, I have no doubt that God has called you, God has a calling and a purpose for your life as well. The reason I don't doubt this is because I believe the words Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.9. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Right now, you may or may not know what your purpose is. You may or may not know what your purpose or calling is. If you do know, Peter makes this appeal in 1 Peter 1:10 to make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do, these things will never you will never stumble. However, if you're still seeking and asking God to reveal that to you, don't give up and don't stop praying. It took almost 20 years for me to really figure out, not figure out, for God to clearly show me what my purpose and what my calling was. And even to this day, I still don't think I'm qualified enough. I still don't think I'm good enough. But I'm just following, I just want to follow Him. I want to keep my eyes on Him. If this is what He's telling me to do, then I'm going to keep doing it. Even if it's just... Preaching and, and teaching one person—that's what I'm going to continue doing. But again, it's not just that; it's to be a salt and light in our area here, whether it's northeast El Paso or throughout the region of El Paso, the state of Texas, you know, the United States, all over the world. I want to be used as that light, and and I will, you know, I, I just want to obediently follow Him, and I hope that's your heart as well. Now, if you're still, again, seeking and asking God to reveal what your purpose and calling is, don't give up and don't stop praying. Keep in mind the words of Paul in Ephesians 1:17 through 17-19. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the perception of your mind may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the glorious riches of His inheritance among the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power to us who believe, according to the working of His vast strength. Now, I mentioned earlier that God uses the unlikeliest people to accomplish His purposes. Throughout the Bible, you, you see God using ordinary people doing, to do extraordinary things. And not just in, in, the, in the Bible, but throughout churches too as well. Let me give you an example. And... Um, Eric, there's an author called Eric Metaxas who wrote a book um, talking about seven uh, women in church history that you, that are important to know. And one of, those, one of those women he wrote about is Mother Teresa. And this is what he said. Mother Teresa is arguably, arguably the most influential woman in modern times. Much of her greatness came from the fact that she served others in awe-inspiring ways. Yet she was a real human being who struggled mightily with not feeling the presence and the love of God. When she died, letters written by her came to light about her. Her words illustrated what is rightly understood as real faith. She held firmly to the belief whether she felt God's love or not. He did love her. Now in this story, and many others like it, God was never concerned about the appearance or the education of a person. What matters most to God is what's in your heart, what's in the heart. Here's here's a biblical example. When God sent Samuel to the house of Jesse to anoint a new king, Samuel looked around at all at all, all the brothers, all the men of that house, and he saw one in particular named Eliab, Eliab, And thought to himself, this surely must be the new king. He looked at his stature, he looked at how he looked, I mean, how he, his appearance, and was like, this has got to be him. This has got to be the new king. But Jesus spoke, I mean, but God spoke to Samuel and told him, don't look at at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Man does not see what the Lord sees, for man sees what is visible. But the Lord sees the heart. When you've been called by God to accomplish His will and purpose, your purpose and outlook in life will dramatically be transformed. It will never be the same again. You see, living in obedience to God is a tremendous responsibility and can only be achieved if God is the source of your strength and comfort. All the people we read about that God used in the Bible understood, not just in the Bible, but throughout church history, understood this concept. It wasn't about achieving their own goals or their own selfish ambitions. It was about doing the will of God and being used as an instrument of His will. Again, going back to our example of our main character this week, John the Baptist. If you look at his background, you see that he had a lot going for him. He was the son of a prominent priest with a bright future ahead of him. And I'm sure when this was going on, his father didn't say, well, oh, son, I'm so proud of you. You know, I'm sure that it just disappointed his father, I mean, it, it disappointed his father that he was out there acting like a madman, not, you know, being a Jewish priest. So again, he had a bright future ahead of him. He was educated. We know this because he knew the scriptures. His mother was a relative of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now some people nowadays, or maybe back then too, they might have used that for their own personal advantage, for their own, to gain prominence, maybe to make a buck off of it. But that wasn't him. What we do see with John the Baptist is a man living in a desert, again wearing nothing but a garment of a camel's hair and a leather belt, who ate nothing but honey and locusts, and a man whose main purpose was to prepare for the arrival of the Messiah. You see, John left his personal ambitions behind him. He left them and let them go for a life devoted to doing the will of God. He wasn't sure when it was going to happen, but nonetheless, he obeyed. Faithfully baptizing, faithfully preaching day in and day out, a message he was given by God in the hot sun, in the cold winters, I mean, this is a, you know, our, in the region here we live, I mean, people would say, it's, you know, it's a desert region, so we know those cold nights, we know those hot days, and day in and day out, he was obedient, he preached the message, he was baptizing, he didn't know when the Messiah was going to come, but he knew it was coming, and he never gave up hope, he never gave, he just kept on going, Again, waiting and anticipating the promise of the Messiah. As Christians, John the Baptist is an example for you and me. We must never give up hope and never give in to the world what the world may think of us, as we confidently, confidently proclaim to others the, others the message of Jesus, and eagerly await His promise to come for us and be with Him for all eternity. We've been given promises also by God. I mean, one of the biggest promises that I'm so looking forward to is the day that he arrives and the day I see Jesus face to face and I'm able to just embrace him and put my arms around him and just say, thank you. I truly believe with all my heart that that day will come. Again, I don't know when it's going to come, but I know it's going to come and I hold on to that promise. There are going to be those who are going to judge you By your appearance, and are not going to understand why you do the things that you do, why you have the faith that you have. In Second Corinthians, Paul tells us that the judgment and cynicism of others is because we don't dare classify or compare ourselves with some of with some who commend themselves, but in measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves to themselves, they lack understanding. Like John, we ought to be less concerned of what others think about us and instead concern ourselves with glorifying God in every aspect of our lives. Whether it's waking up in the morning, having your cup of coffee, going to work, coming home, playing with the kids, um, whatever it may be, just having a conversation with your spouse. It's glorifying God in every single moment of your life. And I know, it's difficult. It's challenging. But we have to keep reminding ourselves who we are, who we are in Christ. Again, day in and day out, John the Baptist faithfully did what he had been called to do. And even though he didn't know when the Messiah would come, his strong belief in the promise is evident by the life he lived. And guess what? All All of a sudden, one day, God showed up. Read read, read with me this final verse, verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and and was baptized baptized in the Jordan by John. This verse tells us that in those days, Jesus came. Now, it wasn't a significant day. It wasn't a a holiday. It wasn't anything. it It could have been like a Tuesday at... 3.30 in in the afternoon. It was just another one of those days. And Jesus just walked up to John and then everything changed. The course of humanity changed. This whole universe, the, the state of this universe, of this world, completely changed. Nothing was ever the same again. Now if he doesn't if he hasn't done so already, God will show up in your life and nothing in your life will ever be the same. When he does reveal himself to you, regardless of the manner, I want you to understand something. God will show up according to his will and according to his timing. God will show up when you least expect it. and God will show up and there will be no doubt in you, within you, that it's him. This is what God said in Isaiah 52-6. Therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, they will know that on that day that I am He who says, Here I am. When God shows up, you will know that it's Him and give you what you need at that exact moment for whatever situation you find yourself in. Let me repeat that. When God shows up, you will know that it's Him, and give you what you need at that exact no- moment, for whatever situation you find yourself in. Now, if you're asking, now if you're asking again, how would I truly know it's God? How would I know? There's only one way of truly knowing. Jesus said in, 14, in John 14:7, "If you know Me, you will also know My Father." You see, if you don't know Jesus, you will never know who God is. There's a lot of ideas, a lot of concepts out there of who God is, a lot of books out there that will, that will tell you, and they try to explain to you who God is and who or who God isn't. But if you really want to know who God is, Jesus said, if you know me, you will know the Father. So we have to understand him. You have to make an effort to understand who Jesus is and the only way of knowing Jesus is by understanding what he came here to do Jesus came to die on the cross for every sin that you ever committed describing Jesus Isaiah again says in 53:5, he was pierced because of our transgression crushed because of our iniquities punishment for our peace was on him And we were healed by His wounds. He sacrificed Himself on your behalf, on on behalf of you and me, and took the punishment we deserved. Now, when He rose from the dead, God confirmed that His that His death paid the debt that we that we owed, and established His power over death. You see, Jesus came to save us. However, in order to be saved, you have to come to that place of knowing that you need to be saved. You have to first recognize the condition you're in and understand there is no hope besides a free gift that God offers. Once you become aware of your sinful condition, the Bible tells us that you must repent of your sins. Place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the moment you ask Jesus, to be the Lord of your life, the Holy Spirit begins to live in you. And that's where the transformation begins. And that's where, when you start reading the Bible, that's where you start reading the words of Jesus. You start to know Him more. You start to fall in love with Him more. You start to understand why He did the things He did, why He said what He said. Every word that He spoke wasn't His own. He was led by God. So every action, he, every action he did, every word he said, God led him. So again, if you want to understand who God is, if you really want to know him, know his will, understand who Jesus is and why he came. You see, the Holy Spirit that's in you, in, in a Christian, testifies about Jesus. And it is he who makes him cl- clearly known to you. In other words, the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to you. And the more you know Jesus, the more you will know, without a doubt, when God shows up in your life. Again, it took a long time before I understood this concept. And, I, and I'm still not done. I mean, I, I, I'm still, you know, every day looking for God to show up. Yes, He's blessed me in so many ways. I mean, I can, again, sit here and then talk, or stand here and talk about all the ways he's blessed me and all the ways that many times he showed up in my life when I just wasn't expecting it, when I wasn't expecting him. But he was faithful. He showed up. And I knew without a doubt that it was him. I knew without a doubt because I knew Jesus. Yes, there was a time... When good things could have came, you know, that I had no idea that it was God. It's, it is challenging, like I said, to be a Christian in this world today. You're getting attacked left and right. You know, your school, your work. I'm constantly being observed to see when I'm going to screw up at work. I'm surrounded by, you know, people and that, that, just, that are lost. And so, yes, I have a certain responsibility to be that light, to be that, that salt at my workplace. I do, you know, my actions, whether my actions or my words, I hope that they do. I hope that, and I pray that they do speak Jesus, and they do speak loudly about the faith that I have. But again, if you want to know God, you, you, you must know Jesus. You have to accept him into your heart. You do have a choice. There is that choice there. He says, you know, he, he doesn't force you to come to him. But I tell you this, and, and as, again, as, as a witness of what he's done in my life, and others can tell you as well, that as you begin to slowly surrender your life to Him, as you surrender these aspects of your life that you're holding on to, you'll see and understand that He's so much better and that He's going to show you so much more. So I'm going to close up in prayer here. and, And Again, I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what's going on. You know, I mean, I would love to talk to you and, and get to know you and see what's happening and, and, and pray with you. I do have a heart for people. And you can share with me what's going on. But really, at this time, you've just got to pour your heart out to God and ask Him to really reveal those things that are, you're holding on to let's pray Lord God thank you for being so good to us even though we've been just so disobedient Lord you've done so many good things and so many just blessed us in so many ways Lord Lord thank you for giving us Jesus Thank you for sending your son to pay the price for our sins, Lord. Lord, had it not been for that, we would have been lost. And we would have died in our sin, Lord. But now, you've given us a way, Lord. You've given us the way to reconcile ourselves to you. only you have provided that way Lord and we we do we are truly thankful and again if you're sitting here and you haven't accepted Jesus as as your Lord or if you're listening and you have an opportunity right now to accept Jesus into your heart just pray this prayer in in the quietness of your heart and just Yes, Lord, I, Jesus, I'm, I know that I'm a sinner. I admit to my, to my sinfulness, to my guilt. And I ask you that you forgive me. I understand that you died on the cross for my sins. And I understand, Lord, that you have given me new life because of it, Lord. Lord, I ask that you again that you forgive me for my sins and I believe that you've forgiven me for my sins. Lord, I ask that you pour your Holy Spirit upon me, in me, so that I may grow, so that I may know you. And so in turn, I can can know the Father as well. Lord God, touch everyone's heart here, Lord. Transform them, shape them, into the image that you've ordained for them, Lord, that you've purposed for them, Lord. Give them a heart, again, just of knowledge of wisdom and and reveal yourself to them, Lord. So that when you do show up, they will be able, to, they just will glorify you, God. Because you do, you deserve all the glory, all the honor. You're wonderful. And again, we just glorify you, Lord. Meet us here right now and just show us who you are, Lord. We thank you for this time. We thank you for blessing us in so many ways and, and just bless this next time fellowship of just meeting each other and talking to each other, Lord, and We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.